This episode contains foul language that may not be suitable for some listeners, as well as audio inappropriate for some Geelong Football Club supporters. The views and opinions expressed during this interview are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any organization, company, and or individual. All content provided are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any organization, company, and or individual. Now on with the show. Expression Radio is produced with the support of the Australian Institute of Geoscientists and the Minerals Council of Australia. Expression Radio is also an official media partner of the 2022 PDAC conference. To find out more about these organizations, go to expressionradio.com. My name is Ahmad, and this is Expression Radio, a podcast focusing on the past, present, and the future of exploration. On this week's episode, Steve and I got the chance to sit down with Dave Lowey, who's the Chief Geoscientist and Technologist at Index Limited. Now on with the show. The view that you took is that if you democratize that understanding, you actually make it a lot more powerful because you, you know, you're kind of bringing the, the base level of understanding up and then obviously that allows you to then you know, make the product better and, and it has better market fit, all of that stuff. Yeah, so from kind of like a product development side, you know, I find that really interesting because there are some people that, that have the view that actually, yeah, like you shouldn't let that out because you know that's your kind of your specialty. Or yeah, and you then, want to call it. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's you know it's always interesting because I think like you know te- people that have a technical kind of background you know, often feel that their value is is in uh, not allowing that you know genie out of the bottle, so to speak. But I Are think you're talking you, to me, Ahmed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. The, uh, but no, I just think it's interesting that, you know, like you, I mean, like, you know, to some degree that, you know, that's kind of the basis of our podcast as well, right? Is that if you democratize the, you know, the content that we have, that actually has more power than, you know, like holding it kind of. You know what I like is uh, that your attitude is that uh, you get to the more interesting stuff. So you're constantly motivated by doing more interesting work. So the interesting part of geochemistry is the interpretation. Um, but there is a hard slog in QAQC that's required in getting things organised, etc. But once you move through that quickly, it's amazing how you can get into more and more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we used to. Um, so there's a feature we put into Gas where you can save the state of the software, mm-hmm. so you can replay it, and that's in there because when you get quite proficient, you in fact have tested before you know it about ten hypotheses, yeah. and you forgot where you started. Right, you get completely yeah. lost looking at it. And so that's why that's there. So you can save that checkpoint and give it a name and then go back to it. Mm-hmm. When you see something interesting, give it a name because you'll forget that you looked at it most likely. Yeah, uh, that's Because fine. it's so fast to test ideas. So mm-hmm. was, was this always an idea to get this out to as many people as possible? Yeah, look, look, it was. And um, so, you know, did we mentioned earlier, do, do I want to be an academic? You'll know, but, uh, but do I want people to learn uh, about data analysis and looking at data and how to do things properly? Yes, and so one of the things that, I mean, gas is a commercial success, which, which is great, but one of the things that actually gratifies me the most is it's used in 100 teaching institutions all over the planet. Um, so and for me, you know, if there's been a renaissance in lithogeochemistry, for example, and that sort of stuff. I think there has. Yeah. I think you could bring it back to iogas because it makes being able to do that so much more efficient. And it means that the teachers can teach it and the students can do it. Uh, and then can think about the results, not spend a lab rooting around in Excel, uh, <laughs> never to do it again, right? You, you know what the irony of that is that people might not know because it runs in the background. It's kind of, when you talk about the word renaissance, you know, the industry is now using geochemistry better than it did 10 years ago. Mm. And a large factor has to be iogas, mm. just running in the background. The, yeah, that's e- fine. the ease of doing that has meant that we can now spend more time on value add. Yeah, which is what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So you, so you painted a very rosy story of, uh, yeah, like how I guess went through this. Um, yeah, <laughs> did you ever doubt at at any point that that this was a good product, bad product, or you had to change? Um, it, it has an interesting history itself. So, uh, one thing about it is, you know, the song "Hotel California." Mm-hmm. Uh, Anyone that's ever worked on iogas is still working on iogas. <laughs> I don't know what that says. <laughs> you can read into that what you will. But yeah. so, uh, and it's a very look. It's yeah. Obviously, it grew up in Io Global, and then we yep. formed a separate company, Io Analytics, which mm-hmm. owned the IP for iogas, and then that got sold to Index. But mm-hmm. but the people who work on it, um, 
it's it's more like a family, honestly, than mm-hmm. than than anything else. And you know, without naming names, you know, there's still there's not still not that many people involved. You know, I guess surprisingly few when you talk to people. There's still only three devs and a couple of people in mm-hmm. product management and support. Uh, but you know, Rob started first on the on the dev front, and then uh, James came along later as another dev. He was the best man at Rob's wedding, of course. Yep. Uh, sort of a Perth type story. And then <laughs> <laughs> we're not all in, inbred here. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kiralee came along uh, after that, and she knew both Rob and James at the University of West mm-hmm. Australia. Uh, Soph who's has been our product owner and product manager forever for I guess That's uh, she worked for me at Paswinko just to go back to Paswinko mm-hmm. and, and and Putra who's also works in the customer support yep. and product management side I actually met him at Prominent Hill when I was in that research the Mount Woods technical working group uh, which I used to I used to be part of that I used to go and, and Putra was doing his MSc on lithogia chemistry mm-hmm. and uh, he was a really bright young guy and I said Putra when you finished your MSc let me know and so when he finished, said, you want a job? So he came on board. But, but you know, all those people are still working on, on Iogas. Mm-hmm. And, and in between them, you know, they're, they're a pretty special group of people. Not like the ones that get on the blue bus, but, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, you know you, you got a, I'm not going to name names here, but a classical pianist, uh, a mountaineer, foster parents, <laughs> uh, pug owners. And, and one of them, which I really won't name, actually brought down the entire... Um, Rnet, you know the the university internet system. When he set up a bot for scraping porn off the internet, <laughs> <laughs> you know. If, <laughs> and uh, in fact, before I met him, uh, I got told this story. Before I met him, I said he's got a job. There's just no yeah. doubt he's got a job. Uh, but yeah, Australia got a call from the US going, "What the hell's going on?" With yeah. the, <laughs> yeah, the highest amount of porn traffic flowing into his personal computer. Yeah. <laughs> Called called Bison and eventually the the head of department. You know, I got a call from someone in Sydney yeah. saying, "Is there a computer called Bison yeah. in the uni?" I don't know. <laughs> eventually tracked it down to whatever. Yeah. Anyway, it's a funny, <laughs> funny. That's it's quite a funny story, right? Yeah. The but, amount of porn traffic flowing from the planet was directing almost entirely to one U, like UWA computer account. In everyone was like, "That's brilliant. What's happening?" <laughs> but who so says anyway. UWA wasn't a world leader? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know the other thing about the gas team is, I mean now and especially uh, in COVID times, it seems normal to work in a dispersed way. It's never been any other way. But yeah, and I think that's something I, I think it's a credit to you guys. Like you know you uh, yeah you seem to make it work at a point where I don't think it was very common to kind of make it work. So uh, yeah, and, and and you couldn't tell. I mean, I think that's always a good sign when you can tell that people are you know like that diverse because of the way you know people interacted with you. And I think that was always a happy coincidence when you found that out. Yeah, and uh, the other thing there is. I mean, people who use gas just love it, right? That's no secret, I suppose. But um, it, it's now it's got to the point where the user base gives us all the ideas we need. They're constantly chatting to us. Um, we run, I suppose the IT department at Imdex might be listening at some point, but, <laughs> but we run Slack. <laughs> we have a Slack that we... Mm-hmm. So gas runs in Slack now. Mm-hmm. It completely has completely run off Slack. Um, and we have people who are, they'll be listening again now who aren't in Imdex in the Slack channel. Um, uh, that contribute and give us ideas and we yep. <laughs> test things with them. Uh, so it's just great from that point of view. And there are people, uh, yeah, people like Mike Whitbread that were heavily involved in the very early days and, and Sugg, Steve Sugman um, yep. uh, is, is still very heavily involved and Nick Cook. Um, you know, one of the people heavily involved in a lot of those discussions is actually Peter Winterburn, yeah, who was unfortunately yep. murdered in Chile. It was a very sad day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was on that channel, right? Constantly yep. hassling us. Why doesn't it do this? Why doesn't it do that? Yeah, but and that stuff's invaluable, actually. Yeah, yeah. So I think we have to um, pay a little bit of homage here, Dave, because um, the t- the team you built between you and Bounder has it's very impressive. It's almost as if you've got a specific HR goals in terms of recruitment, <laughs> in terms of the people you hire. Normality doesn't go over well. <laughs> There's got to be something odd about the people, uh, I think. Um, I, I, I honestly find it easiest to manage and work with people who are a bit odd rather than normal, in a way. Quite loyal as a result. I mean, yeah. even the people who've moved on to other things still remain tied back 
to IOG or to gas in same some sort of fashion. Yeah, look, it's I've been told more than once that Imdex listening again, but you know, um, Dave, if you ever leave Imdex and go and start up another IO again, just give us a call. Yeah, they, they'd all come back from all over the world, and and I'm sure they'd all be hooked out and yeah, be yeah. happy to do so. But I, I'm not planning to do that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you mentioned uh, the use in universities, but mm. just give us some numbers, full stop. You know, throw down some some yeah. Stats so we have a so the Google Analytics tells us where on the world gas gets started up, um, and I think it was. I looked at the number and it was 130 countries. And I actually said to someone, is there 130 countries? <laughs> <laughs> like even Yemen, I think, was on the list of people using iogas. Um, some of them obviously will be hacked versions that are, yep. that are distributed, but we don't really care too much about that. Yep. Uh, but it's just used fucking everywhere, actually. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, you know, not just getting the hacked versions. We figure there's about 5,000 users spread around the world um, in you know, over 100 companies, 100 universities, huh? um, I don't know, dozens and dozens of government institutions like surveys, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and the people who renew and keep using it, we have virtually a no non-renewal rate mm-hmm. with iGAS. People just keep using it. If we, if we lose users, it's typically because they've moved companies and yep. a license gets lost, but then they just buy it um, again, which is okay. <laughs> but in some job ads now, say advertising for geos, they've got it as a requirement that they that's can use iogas. Yeah. So I read that and I go, man, that's cool. <laughs> that's a bit funny, but also it's good. Yeah, wow. So I, I think the state of geochemistry has gone forward in the last 10 years and that mm. must make you feel good because I've known you for a while mm. and if I go back 10, maybe 20 years, I think geochemistry looked like it was in decline. Mm. Um, and now I think it's flourishing. Yeah, look, and I find that, and I probably wouldn't ascribe all of it to gas, but there's some component of that, of just making people able to manipulate the data and learn interesting things means that they'll keep doing it. They'll get more data and keep looking at it. Um, The other interesting thing about gas is it gets used for a lot more than just looking at geochemistry data now. It's really, uh, if we had to rename it, we'd probably still call it gas, but we'd call it a a geoscience analytics system or something mm-hmm. a bit more sexy and modern but uh, but really people use it for all all sorts of things now it's not just geochemistry just mm-hmm. because of the way it, it operates uh, yeah yeah that's right I mean it's effectively now a data analytics tool rather yes. than purely a yeah. geochemistry tool yeah. but designed for our industry yep yeah. yeah yeah that's right was it a deliberate decision to make it easy to interface with other software or was yeah so I, I think I mean, if you're thinking about a product strategy point of view with it we're always very clear about what gas didn't do mm-hmm. and was never going to do. Um, we can talk about. I I, I hate GIS software. I, I don't know if it's probably probably my failing. Maybe um, it, I find it, it, it. Maybe it's better these days, but I just refuse to use it, so I wouldn't know. Um, but in the in the olden days, uh, GIS software was just such a piece of shit. <laughs> All of it, right? It, I just completely, what really did it in for me was actually when I was doing my PhD and I, I made a map, I won't say which GIS platform it was, but I just wanted to print out, just put fucking grid lines on it. And that was an existential nightmare, <laughs> <laughs> trying to put grid lines and a title block on a map. And I thought, well, well, what the hell is this software for, right? Uh, that's when you used to print maps, of course. No one does anymore. Yeah. Um, but So it was never going to be, it was over my dead body, actually, that gas was going to start doing GIS functionality. But... We do acknowledge that people need to get it into GIS to combine with other data sets, which is fine. So the strategy was always to connect it, mm-hmm. to have connectors to the outside world. So, um, well, you know, to Map Info and Discover, you know, was one of the early connections to uh, to GoCAD. Mm-hmm. So our first live connection was actually to, to GoCAD mm-hmm. uh, and the, yeah, the geo add-on to GoCAD. Um, and Gervais Perron actually worked on us there when he worked for Myra Geoscience, but now he works for Imdex, right? So mm-hmm. another another Hotel California, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, GoCAD, and then after that, uh, the Leapfrog, we connected to uh, Leapfrog as well in the yep. desktop environment. And man, when we connected it to Leapfrog, people thought that was just black magic. <laughs> they really did. They got this three-dimensional model and a thing in gas, and they change the color, and it changed on the other screen. And That's right. They honestly, how does that happen? How does that work? How did that get there? Right. That's still, still to this day, that impresses people and all mm-hmm. things like that. 
Um, and that's been a very successful uh, connection. Mm-hmm. But le- less success for reasons I'm okay with ArcGIS. Um, uh, but QGIS, you know, uh, the freeware GIS system. Um, man, so there's a bit of GIS software which has evolved really quickly and is now incredibly powerful and good. That's right. Yeah. Um, but we had users coming to us. I didn't really know about QGIS, but people, our gas users coming saying, we're, all u- we're using QGIS, can you do a connection to QGIS? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did, right? And now we've got a full um, uh, live link for the first time across to a purely GIS environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so that's it. You know, GAS does what it does. It's not going to do these other things, but we'll talk, let it talk to these yeah, other yeah, bits yeah. of software that do it better and do it properly, frankly. Yep. Yeah. I mean, but I think that's going back to your strategy of not having these stranded kind of pieces of, of software that you know you want to have some interoperable interoperability between them so that yes. yeah like it goes back and forth uh, in that yep. sense so that, I think that makes total sense yeah 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 I know there's a lot of geos who work for the larger companies would love to run QGIS but of course they can't <laughs> yeah yeah that's why yeah that's another story <laughs> yeah that's why. another that, that's a yeah, yeah why we get stuck into that loop uh, <laughs> so yeah so one of the questions I guess I have is did you I mean when you set off uh, creating IO Global or IO Analytics did you envisage making it or creating a technology company or was that a happy coincidence along the way? It was you know, hindsight. It's difficult to to unleave hindsight with foresight at the time. Um, I think because I had been involved in creating little bits of software to do tasks in geochemistry and you know the the imaging, you know the imaging in iogas. Yep. Whenever you see it at a conference, you know instantaneously it's come straight out of iogas. Yep. Uh, but that algorithm alone uh, was created by uh, Alan Hogan and Elf Ego at CRAE mm-hmm. years and years ago. Yep. Um, <laughs> and I actually got Alan Hogan, uh, who was already retired at the time, I think, to recreate that gridding and imaging component in a Visual Basic program when I was at Pasminko. Then when we finally got Iogas, rang up Alan, who was very retired by then, and said, can we pay you for that code so we can port it across? And Iogas said, no, I just gave it to us. I said, do it. Uh, so we did that. And, it, you know, that's that's a very gas thing, you, you know. So you can obsess about gridding data and then imaging it. You, you can, uh, you know, when we used to do a lot of training, and say if you use Surfer, for example, just not to pick on it, but as an example, there's probably... 50 to 100 different permutations of gridding the thing and then That's multiply right, yeah. that by another 100 ways of colouring it. Gas does it one way. Yep. Because we don't want people fucking around, frankly, with all of that stuff. <laughs> just make a... Just make a <laughs> Are you trying to suggest you're the apple of the geoscience industry? Oh, don't <laughs> but, uh, you're the one wearing a black turtle next to Yeah, that's uh, Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> That was a deliberately leading question. I, I blame Steve Jobs for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know how much you. What do you think about Apple? <laughs> well, you, you, well, it's funny just, you bring up Apple cause, yeah, because just be careful, gas, don't get a suit. All right? that, that's <laughs> yeah. the major, major thing you want to prevent. Here. Well, because gas is written in Java, you can run it on Linux and Apples and yep. PCs, and yeah. and much to our frustration still, because supporting it on Apples is a frankly pain in the ass because none of us own one and want to own one yep. uh, for many reasons. Uh, so whenever we put a release out, we always find something near the end. So an, an Apple user contacts us and says, oh, this fucking font looks wrong or something. Just, <laughs> yeah. And my first response is, well, ring up fucking Steve Jobs and tell him. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really give a shit. But um, uh, No, but we go and fix it. Um, <laughs> almost again. There are so many... We've almost dropped Apple support so many times, but so many of the universities yeah, yeah. use Macs and they use gas on the Macs. So that's why. Yeah. So all of your teaching institutions out there listening, that's why we still support gas on a Mac. It's for you lot, actually. Yeah. So, well, as a Mac user that does use iogas, <laughs> I probably account for 10% of Putra's support tickets because of that. So I apologize for that. Putra's very patient dealing yeah. with people. In fact, sometimes I tell Putra, I say, you know, Putra, we're going to build you a tool at some point where if someone contacts you with an idiot support request, um, <laughs> that you can send them an email which disables gas and deletes it off their computer and refunds them the balance of their license. <laughs> 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 and, then, and then takes the contact. Yeah, well, I'm glad you don't have that tool because uh, <laughs> I probably would have been a casualty of that at some point. <laughs> so do you ever, um, you know, now that you've democratised mm. to some degree, do you ever feel like um, people are missing fundamentals and that they you wish they had 
they knew what a melanoma distance was, for example? Um, not, I, I'd. <laughs> melanoma distance. <yeah. laughs> Funny, it's late in a Friday here, yeah. and we're, and we're yeah, drinking wine. Right. Talking about melanoma <laughs> distances. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, not really. I, I'd rather. It's if they make the plot and they and it's identified outliers, I'd rather they were thinking about why is it an outlier, not exactly how Mahalanobis distance mm. is calculated. So, um, it, you know, the, there, are, there there are statistical methods in gas, but they're pretty buried and mm-hmm. not put into people's faces because you need them to run some of the maths uh, in the background. But, it, you know, that whole idea, you know, I'll give talks on sorting the signal from the noise, that, that concept, what's signal, what's noise, <laughs> Depends who's looking at the data. So under the same data, yeah, yeah. one person's noise is another person's signal. Uh, the use of data changes temporally mm-hmm. as well. So the same data set. So um, you, know, you might have been running an exploration program and have golden arsenic assays. That's fine. But all of a sudden that data gets picked up by the mine. If it becomes a mine, they're looking at arsenic deportment from a geometallurgical point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that data wasn't generated correctly, you're up there, that can be a disaster. Um, so... I just rather people were thinking about what mm-hmm. the data means than too much about what's going on in the background. It, it took me a long time to put something as simple as principal components uh, into gas because because I wanted people to look look at the fucking data, right? And so um, to this day, much to my chagrin, right? Even people use gas. I'll bring data and then run a principal component. Say, don't do that. Yeah, do a, look at a scatter plot, make a prob plot. You know, do all the normal things first before you get to that so that's why it took a while for some of these yeah, methods yeah. to get in we'd, we'd had a chance to educate the community to do the, the, the just the normal relatively simple univariate things first mm-hmm. um, and in fact um, you know in this you know analytics the buzzword now and data science and it annoys me a bit right because all geoscientists are data scientists and always have been for fucking decades right <laughs> but now it's all flavor of the month and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's okay oh come on guys yeah uh, it's better branding if you're a data yeah, scientist than if you're yeah, a geochemist we're all data so. scientists right all, yeah, all of it's us it's made you guys cool again though yeah, yeah, yeah that's right yeah exactly <laughs> so but, um, I, but i think i mean one comment i think uh you know like worth kind of mentioning is that you know like one of the things i think you have to kind of be aware of is that you know, like not everyone needs to know how to build a watch. You know, some people just need to be able to tell time. And so, yeah, so if you can get people, yeah, so if you can get people as quickly as possible to a point where they can kind of do what they want to do, you know, which is just that they want to be able to tell time, then, you know, there's obviously a certain number of people that should know how to build watches and and, and, yeah, that that should be their jam and that's exactly what they do. But not everyone needs to be in that in that kind of space so and I think I quite like that I might use that actually <laughs> yeah yeah go for it someone so. will be rooting around with something you just say look for fuck's sake what is the time <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's right <laughs> tell me the time no, no, not that's all this right. other useless shit and I think it's like you know like um, I mean if you kind of look at how software is kind of developed you mm-hmm. know like some of the more successful pieces of software are essentially ones where you know they take that whole building the watch aspect away from people and people just want to use you know just want to be able to tell time and that's really the power of a lot of software i think yeah. ends up being so um and so yeah it's quite a difficult thing to get right you know yeah that's I, right i think yeah so yeah. um just as an example one of the things that i want to finish with is that's sort of bothering me is the lack of statistical appreciation in <laughs> the general public and yes. let's say our science for example yes and i'm not pointing the finger definitely not but you know where has this lack of um, practical understanding of statistics gone? Uh, like a basic level of numeracy, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> let's start with the obvious. That let's let's timestamp right now. Yeah, that, sure. That so COVID is a living example a, of a lack of statistical appreciation. A complete and utter demonstration. Um, <laughs> a bit of a shock, actually. And I would extend that not to the general public. I'd say to some of our. Yeah, no, I'm going to get the shit here. Some of our chief medical officers have a yeah. basic <laughs> misunderstanding of statistics yep. um, and and risk and probabilities. Uh, but, and, and asymmetry as well. Yep. Like just a whole level of statistics mm. that's missing, not just probabilities, but the possibility of, of asymmetry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So both positive and negative is missing in yeah. terms of, you know, if we talk politics for two seconds, both sides of the, of statistics are missing. Both the upside and downside are missing. 
That's why. Of it if he wants. This could get into quite dangerous territory yeah. quite quickly. Um, yeah, you, you know, another statement you can make is um, getting a bit off it a bit. All the action ends and end, happens in the tails of the distributions, right? And people don't yep, understand things right. like that. They really yep. don't. Um, but geoscientists should. They really should. It's mm-hmm. our life. It, 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 we're always looking for the things in the tails <laughs> of the distributions. That, that's our life. That's our that's job to find those things in the tails. Um, and, you know, Nicholas Taleb is a, an intellect, bit of an insufferable wanker, very good <laughs> person. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sure been blacklisted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if listening, you would agree. But, yeah. um, I'm but sure you'll slam us on Twitter at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but his, uh, but now I'm getting him a plug. So, but his book, Filled by Randomness, is just excellent book oh, and yeah. and yeah. whenever i i don't really it's approach to gas so when i run i don't run training gas anymore i haven't done it for a while anyway but when i talk to groups of people about it, i'm really talking about the philosophy of data and how you look at data what mm-hmm. lens you look at data through uh it, which is a completely different thing gas is just a vehicle to allow that to happen yep um but this book filled by randomness is really good because it just makes you think around what's real what is a what's a signal and what's fucking noise right? mm-hmm. and uh, and I love I actually love the topic I like talking about it and uh, you know to go back onto politics briefly um, because I think this has been an imperfect Darwinism example is, um, <laughs> you know the human brain's really good at processing visual things and coming to a decision um, and, so, and so maybe during our evolution sitting around the savannas and you got um, a, you know a lion in the grass and uh, your, your body, you, you, you see it, and your brain processes it, and you're and you're mm-hmm. and you're leaving before you've even thought about it. That's how fast we can do it. Uh, whereas those that formed a committee to work out whether there was really a line or not, they probably got eaten. <laughs> and so therefore, we should have evolved to a higher place than where we are now. Perhaps. <laughs> That's right. uh, but that, but that also trips us up because we're we're so good at seeing patterns, but we don't understand randomness, mm-hmm. and we see patterns in randomness and. So I like I like showing people random data that they don't know it's random, and let them interpret it. And you, you should see the stuff people come up with, right? And then afterwards, <laughs> I've had arguments my geophysics comrades, right? Um, I've <laughs> oh yeah, <they're> <laughs> I, I've had I've I showed a geophysicist once this image, and it was random data. I got and I'd done a bullshit interpretation, conjugate joint sets, and all the rest. It was all rubbish, of course. <laughs> Anyway, I was showing it to the geophysicist, and they, oh, you're cool. And then I said, it's random. He said, no, no, that is not random data. So <laughs> I had to send the geophysicist my Excel file, let him generate the random data himself, and then plot it to convince himself that I wasn't pulling his leg, that it was random data. Um, but that's, it, it's it's just a, it's a human mind thing. We can't, we don't know what random, if you get someone to write down ones and zeros in a random order, they can't. Yeah, that's Because right. randomness looks like it has a pattern. That's right. And in geoscience, that gets us into trouble. All the time, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you, you know, like you brought up Taleb, and I think one of like you know, so this fooled by randomness, and this other one is around, yeah, you know, like the fragility of knowledge. Yes. And I think, yeah, you know, they, yeah, you know, when we become highly, I think, uh, yeah, especially when we are taught a technical skill set, yeah, you know, like your knowledge, I think, ends up making you a little bit fragile in what you you look at as well. Yeah. So they, so they're interesting kind of concepts, I think, when you kind of talk about data analysis and things like that, particularly in a in a world that has to deal with you know, the highly uncertain part of the distribution curve, you know, like how does your strength, which is your understanding, actually become a weakness in, you know, in certain aspects of data analysis? Well, you know, uncertainty scenarios, plan A's, plan B's, plan C's. That's that, what I'm, Which, for me, it's implicit in the way I think, but that's not everyone yeah, uh, yeah. by any means thinks any thinks like that. You know, that's, that's right, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe, maybe engineers, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> What's the grade? Five point six three one five percent. But all. <laughs> yeah, but. So, uh, now you're getting me warmed up. Um, <laughs> my view on this is that we're over measuring the world, and mm. because we know the measuring is really important in order to be able to predict something, but there are just things we're doing now that aren't actually measurable. But we're forcing ourselves to interpretation mm. from random data. Yep. So because we can't turn up and have nothing, even if the whereas highly uncertain environments yeah. will have no answer. Uh, look, and we're so uncomfortable with that. Yeah, we are. And sometimes the right answer, so, so there's two right answers which don't get spoken enough about in geoscience especially is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like I've, yeah. you, know, you might have 
you know, done a drill campaign and not being able to test your hypothesis. So the answer is it didn't work. The thing is, you don't know. I, I didn't do the work to answer the question for whatever reason. And then the other one, which I think is the hardest question in exploration geoscience, is walk away. Yeah. It's, which it, is, have I done enough? Have right? I done enough? Yep. Do I know enough now yep. to walk away when it's not a black and white decision, right? Correct. In the balance of probabilities or thinking or the testing I've done, yep. the hypothesis I'm working with and the work I've done to date, is that enough now that I look at that and go, I'm much better off testing another part of the planet and leaving that one behind? Yep. Because every year wasted is a year that you never get back by prosecuting. Sorry, I'm going to put a little bit of a boot into Danny Kahneman. Apologies here. I think this whole concept that we need, we expect to know the answer means if we don't know the answer that we're forced to choose yes or no. So all decisions are yes or no, whether they're 51-49, which is the same thing as 49-51, yes. uh, the other way, realistically, and yet we're forced to make a call. And in other words, there's no role for intuition. So how yeah. do you walk away from an uncertain project? The answer is when you don't have the full answer, Everyone keeps thinking that you can't walk away. And so we're holding on and holding mm. on as if we've never been comfortable with uncertainty. Whereas you go back to your tiger in the, in the savannah kind of concept, it's like there is no room for rigorous data analysis here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In that world, the type two thinkers would be dead. Exactly. Right? Because they couldn't rationalize the way out of that. So I, to problem. be fair, Kahneman would admit that. But I think this has become overpopulized. Everybody is expecting. There is only a room for an answer. There is no room for I don't know. Mm -mm. Yeah, that's fine. So I think uh, we want to finish up with uh, a few questions. Yep. Yep. Um, one extra one I want to ask is, what advice would you give to anybody wanting to become a geochemist in oh. the world? Shit, that, well, I mean, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I wouldn't discourage them. It's <laughs> 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 a terrible answer, isn't it? Um, look, if this conversation hasn't discouraged them, then yeah, please. I, I, think, I think you really – the reason I did the PhD was to specialise. And I, th I don't know this for certain, but I, I don't think that a standard undergraduate four years gives you the toolbox to just go out and be a geochemist. I mean, you might have a geochemical bent and go into industry, and if you can get good mentoring training, which is a problem, mm -hmm. right, um, then go down that path most definitely. But I think if you want to – go into industry in some way ready-made as a geochemist. You need that some sort of postgraduate thing to do where you teach yourself. I mean, PhDs are really about teaching yourself how to learn, and teaching mm -hmm. yourself because you shouldn't be reliant on other things, right? It's up, it's up to you mm -hmm. to teach yourself what's going on and that's what you learn to do and that's how I got my... That's how I got into geochemistry. Really. Mm -hmm. uh, but you still... You, you know, you still need that fundamental science. Uh, you know, you st and this is a bit of a problem in geology you still need to understand chemistry and physics and a bit of maths right uh, because what we're trying to elucidate when we go out and look at data and collect samples is to identify those processes that have gone on that we're looking for That's and right. if we are going to identify those processes in data you need to understand the fundamental science of how the process operates otherwise you're not yep. going to be able to identify yep. unless it's just dog's balls right just stick straight out but yep. so to speak yep um but you look, I, I would. Yeah, there are points that I global's history. I said, you know, we should actually make a geochemistry university and just train people properly and about yeah. how to do it. Um, but you know, maybe maybe just having gas and all the teaching institutes is enough to get people interested, and it's enough mm -hmm. to get them going. And you know, if in their undergrad they start using it and they look at a bit of lithogeochem data and they can look at a potassium aluminium molar ratio and link that back to a mineral they see in the microscope, they go. Bloody hell, that's good. Like I can look at this abstract space and then go down and look at a microphone and see that mineral. But I could tell it from the, the assays I was looking at in gas. Shit, mm -hmm. that's amazing. And then whoever's teaching that course goes, well, I've got one, a live one here. Uh, and they'll probably turn out to be an excellent geoscientist, whether they go into geochemistry or not. Yep. So, so let's segue into what about advice in terms of building technology with Mm. I really like your unique HR policies. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Let's start with what advice yeah. would you give to someone yeah. into technology? Yeah, so yeah, that's a good question as well. Um, I, I think if you want to get into technology and develop uh, some IP in a company, and uh, if you're doing it for money, forget it. Right? It's, you, that is not the reason to do it. Um, you've got to 
you've got to be extremely passionate, resilient, and want to change something in the world. If you can do that, if you've got those things, and then money-making may come after that, may. There is no guarantee, right? You could, uh, I mean, man in higher global's history went through two global downturns, and, you know, I remember remember uh, sitting in the downstairs office with Ivan Gustavino, our, he's now director of Index, by the way, but he was our advisor at the time, working out which bills to pay and not pay because we had a cash flow crisis during that. So, you know, that takes a lot of resilience, right? And you've got to be aware that um, you've, you've, if you've got a house, that, that's on the line. You know, if you want to send your kids off to fancy schools, that's on the line. It's all on the line. There are no guarantees in this world. So that resilience, self-belief without being an idiot, um, having a really good idea, needing to change the world, and, and just some brute horsepower, being smart as well, all, all helps. But if you think, I'm going to go in there and make money, forget it. You may. You may. But And the, the ironic thing is you might get all of those other things right but never make a cracker. For, for reasons, yeah, we live in a macro environment world where other things happen along the way which are completely out of your control. Right? And they, well, well Nicholas Taleb right, black swans, but it doesn't have to be something as significant as a black swan. Uh, something else might happen and, you know, all of your customers disappear. Um, you know, you can get ill yourself. You might be in the middle of building up a company and go to the doctor and get a really horrible diagnosis and go, well, now what, right? Mm. Uh, so um, you've got to have the bottle to do it. You really do. And it's not for everyone. And multiple people have asked me about this. And I say, you know, if you if you look at all of those things and you in any way doubt yourself, don't do it. That would be my simple advice. So we always ask, I guess, two questions at the end. Right. First question, what is something you think that needs to die in our industry? Could be an <laughs> idea, a concept, a behavior. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> what do you think we need to jettison out of the industry? <laughs> so... I gave a talk at PDAC a, a few years ago, and you know, as you know, Canadians are very polite. Um, I don't know there must have been 150 people in the audience, and I was talking about change and technology and stuff like that. But at the end of the talk, I, I looked up and I said, uh, "The only way this fucking industry is going to improve is when half of you are dead." <laughs> <laughs> you mean how science progresses one funeral at a time? <laughs> we need a bit, a bit of accelerated Darwinism. Right? <laughs> <laughs> in a way, oh, we're getting more trouble now, but you know, the COVID and the disease of the unvaccinated is a bit of an acceleration of the process. Darwin experiment. Another experiment. But I uh, know oh, that, that's a bit terrible, isn't it? But um, but I think I think young people need to be enthused about it. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think, um, like we are talking about right at the start, it's a fucking exciting thing to do. Travel the world, see places the planet you've never seen in your life, get millions of dollars to test crazy ideas time and time again, within reason, you know, mm-hmm. um, is who wouldn't want to do that, mm-hmm. right? And But I don't think it gets conveyed to young people like that, maybe. And, and so and it's not just about geochemistry, it's really about geoscience. And the, the other thing I talk about a lot now is, and I gave a talk to a whole bunch of young geophysicists just a month ago here in Perth, was, you know, decarbonising the world isn't it is an existential crisis. That word again for mm-hmm. the for the globe, right? Yep. And yes, it needs the battery metals to think about, but we actually need shitloads of copper, and that's a problem. Right? That's right. Yep. And um, so, and I made this point at the CET down at UWA as well. Was um, I said to these young people, I said, "This is not my problem. I'm an old fuck. I'll be dead. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. This is your problem. Yep. You young people, it, it is your job to solve this. It's your job." to find the resources we need to decarbonise the world. And it's a very, very serious problem. The other thing I said to the guys at the CET was, you should be really exciting young people to get them into the courses to do it. And you should be teaching them to find ore deposits which are politically acceptable to mine in 15 or 20 years using technologies we haven't dreamt up yet. Yep. Right, And that's, I think that's a really clear message for our industry. And I like giving it, but I don't think it's given enough. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, well, it's that generation's responsibility, right? Yeah. Not ours anymore. We're too old. Yeah. I mean, I think if you kind of look, you know, like if you kind of frame it that way, if you look at any industry that's best placed to kind of utilize a technological leap, you know, it's definitely got to be the industry we work in. Yeah. So from that point of view, uh, you know, not only is is the industry that we're in a um, 
a conduit for more technological change, but that technological change will actually have an impact on on Back us on as well, industry. right? Yeah. So, so there'll be a nice kind of cycle from end to end that, you, you, and that would be a much more fascinating story to kind of sell to people. And, and you know what? We needed to have started this yesterday. I know, I know. Not today. Yeah. I, I, it's, I used to despair of all of this for a long time, but now <coughs> uh, still despair of it a little bit, I suppose. But, you know, there's obviously been a, a sea change, you know, the the ship has, you know, the trains left the station, the ship has left the shore. Mm-hmm. People acknowledge the problems now, but now we've got to fix it. And, you know, I was talking to some guys down in, in Perth about, you know, car manufacturers and that, and they think it's going to turn a tap on and lithium comes out of it. <laughs> turn another tap and some co- some some cobalt comes out and some copper. Yeah, it's just an item on a list. You just fucking order it. Where does it come from? I don't know. Yeah. But, mate, 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 it, it might not, you might turn the tap on, there might not be anything there. So. I know. And I always find like you know like that uh, you know, like one of my pet peeves is this you know like the the uh, copper demand uh, curve that we seem to see you know like you could go back ten years and you'll see exactly the same curve right but the you know, the reality is that you know the even if you just take electric vehicles the infrastructure that we have to build to allow them to occur you know like that's not going to happen quickly right no. and at the present rate that's not happening at any at any rate on that cra- the graph that people have kind of made so no. and, and we've got to do things differently just to fill in the copper we use now when mines yeah, go yeah, that's right. and, um, and copper especially yeah, so do you think we paint that this is a technically challenging enough discipline because I, I i despair that this isn't doable that this is actually uh, the industry's trending the wrong direction for the challenge that's in front of us. So this might be get me in even more trouble now. But um, so yeah, so the industry has a problem rectifying this. It, it's like um, when you're part of the problem, actually part of the problem, <laughs> it's hard to fix yourself, right? Because you yeah, don't see yeah. your problem. It, yeah. it's just a yeah. unless you're thing. a masochist, you really don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I. Something needs to change mm-hmm. in our industry. And one scenario I've painted to a few people, I know well, some of them, is um, I think one of our big multinational companies, not gold ones, the, the base metal ones, I, I think a, uh, uh, an Amazon or Musk needs to come in and say, you know what, I'm going to buy you for fucking spare change. <laughs> I'm going to sack the board, get rid of half the exco, uh, and I'm going to get rid of the assets that I don't, like or don't agree with and take you off the market so I don't, 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 no longer need to be pandering to idiot analysts that can't see further <laughs> than two years in front of their own hand. Um, and I'm going to make this cool. I'm going to make this a mission to save the world, right? And this this big company, I'm going to task with doing that. Mm-hmm. Right? And we're going to go out and we're going to just do it differently, right? And it's still hard, right? Rocks are hard. Mining's hard. You know, all the same challenges exist. But go with a different mindset then but the reason for doing this is they may or may not be successful but the world will look at that and go what the hell's going on yeah yeah and this it will is change. Doing. Yeah. yeah this is worth doing you, you get all these people looking at that going oh my god mm-hmm. i i just didn't know um I, yeah. it doesn't seem that hard if we could just unwind the past to paint that right now the challenge is a technically needs the best the best and the brightest and it's worth doing for the sake of the planet it doesn't the hard part is we've got obviously uh, a history that we have to deal with we do and we don't have the industry in the current position that it needs to be in so this is these are i can't see any other one doing this other than disruption yeah. somebody like elon going waking exactly. up one day and going not only do i need nickel and lithium i'm gonna have to do it myself yes yep. and yep. to do that i'm going to take some spare change out of the bank yeah it yep. isn't going to happen any other way and yeah yeah that's fine so it, i couldn't agree more yep. <laughs> All right, so conversely, yes. and last question, uh, what is something that you think we need to maintain in our industry at all costs? Something that you think is fundamental to our DNA that we shouldn't forget? Oh, the greatest asset. So talking about geoscience, I suppose, in mm-hmm. the industry, uh, the greatest asset is what's between your ears, truly. And, you know, if you can't maintain a, an inquiring, agile, questioning mind, then forget it. Right, the, the day the day you lose that, you shouldn't be in the expiration game. <laughs> if you if you can't, is that a call for sacking half the industry? <laughs> <laughs> 
You said that, not me. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> no, the, if you, the person that's selling the product is not going to say that. <laughs> if you can't get... I mean, just the, the conversation we just had, new people coming in and go, I'm, I'm going to go and find more resources so we can decarbonise the world. I'm going to get excited about that. Here's, and then they go, and man, it's hard, but shit, I can get millions of dollars and I can go and drill holes and try and find things to help the world, right? Um, if that doesn't excite you, then man, get out. Mm-hmm. But we've got to find enough people that think like that. And and that, again, it goes back to that the younger generation and trying to Enthuse. Enthuse them around that it's yeah. a, and here's a word of Paul House will listen to us at some point, but um, <laughs> it's a noble cause. It's a, we wind him up. He call he rings. It's a noble cause. We wind him up. About it's too much of a wank word, <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually a, a no. It's a noble cause, mm-hmm. and and it's it's man, it's just critical. And uh, yeah, you know, I talk to people obviously about this a lot, and I say even in even in Perth, which is bloody sustained by mining, basically, <laughs> uh, young people think it's uncool, and you go well. It, it's actually it's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's We're fine. here to save your ass. Yeah, actually, and you need to understand that. And we, for some reason, we have a difficulty articulating it, or we haven't thought to articulate it. Uh, yeah, and and know, we're pretty bad at kind of marketing. Uh, well, I think yeah, that. We are yeah, very like bad that, at, that. That's the kind of the, the concept. And we have this history, right? And and man, if people don't understand the stats of COVID, then trying to get them to understand the, <laughs> what mining does to the world it might be a bridge too far, right? But yeah, yeah, that's a... Wait, but you only need to find... Like, you don't need to convince the entire world. You need to find this group of people who can do it mm-hmm. and get them into our industry. So it, it doesn't need to be a broadcast thing. You need to target a group of people to bring it. Yeah, that's a... No, no, exactly. Um, so... Uh, that's pretty much that's pretty much the end of our interview. But we also try, we're trying this uh, a little bit of a different tag. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have? Uh, you obviously travelled, and you kind of mentioned, um, yeah, a little bit about your travels. Do you have a travel story that comes to your mind? If I ask you, give me your best one. Oh, <laughs> well, there's a few. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a particularly Irish story. There you go. Okay. So Barry Murphy, if he's listening to this, will remember this. So. Yep. Uh, Pesminko did a lot of exploration in Ireland. So did Anglo. So I've been to Ireland many times with Pesminko, Anglo, and as IO, actually. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's zinc. It's elephant zinc country. Yep. Uh, anyway, not there to not talk about zinc in this case. So, uh, so I've travelled a lot, but there's only one country on one trip where I've seen two cocks. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> bleep. Um, <laughs> so it's odd, right? So, Barry, you know, if you ever driven around Ireland with an Irishman on those very narrow roads, they drive at about 300 miles an hour and terrify the shit out of you, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're just driving along. We roar past this little uh, little town, uh, and there's a guy out on the side of the road uh, just jerking off. <laughs> like, I, said, I said to Barry, I said, is this normal here? <laughs> yeah. That was the first one, right? And then the, the second time we were in Dublin, Barry's listening to this, he'll laugh his head off, but... We're in Dublin and, and we're talking to a guy. We're actually trying to buy some historic geochem data off him, which was all on paper maps. We want to digitise it and make it digital. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, he had his back to the window. We were looking at him, looking through the window in Dublin, very narrow streets. We could see into the building right next door. Anyway, the, the, the blind was down. So as we're talking to this guy, the blind goes up and there's a guy standing there stuck. <laughs> I said to Barry, I said, mate, that's two. <laughs> <laughs> Is Ireland really like this? <laughs> anyway, that's sort of the, oh, That's brilliant. <laughs> but the Irish, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can, um, so I mentioned this story before you came in, and now that we're at the end of our interview, I feel comfortable saying this because this could possibly be the end of the interview right here. But, uh, you know, the first time that I met you was not really the, the time that I met you, but I met your most of your possessions and everything. And it was uh, 2008, yeah, it was a, uh, it was the, what is it, the last uh, weekend in September, yeah. and you hosted- On the fucking grand final. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In 2008. Yep. Oh my God, really? Yeah. yeah. Shit. And all I remember about I've that, still I've not watched that. What? No, I've not watched one minute yeah. of that. So. And what I remember about that is that I, I think I now kind of figured out that maybe it was in your house that the party was held, but there was a party which was uh, that you know you were the architect of. And I remember coming to the party 
when you were MIA for for known reasons because your team was losing at that time. And then I left the party without seeing you either, even though it was your party, and you still had not made an appearance at that time. I, I think yeah. I was sitting in Steve's garden drinking heavily. <laughs> Consoling. <laughs> Consoling. <laughs> Uh, that was one of the odd things about IO. We used to have the grand final parties. And, yep. and they were wildly popular, but there were years where Geelong was in it every year. So I was just massively stressful for me. Just massively fucking stressful. I can remember um, you destroying Port Adelaide, yes. which is my wife's team, yes. and having to walk all the way home from Stephen's house to uh, to North Perth with my wife, and she's wearing a Port Adelaide, and the abuse that she was getting from everyone. <laughs> Geelong destroyed Port Adelaide. <laughs> it was a long walk home. Yeah. Uh, the, what is it? The largest grand final loss between the two. And the only reason I know that is because my wife is a rabid Hawthorne supporter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and she's going to hate this. But no, she, I haven't dropped the wrong word yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. Uh, I can feel it coming. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I have to say this is uh, one of the best stories is that she paid an exorbitant amount of money to fly to Melbourne. We were living in Perth at the time, and she flew to Melbourne not to go to the game, but just to watch the game in the living room of her parents' house. Uh, look, and look, I, I, look, I get that. Yeah, no, no. Despite her being a Hawthorne supporter. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, even, so the year prior when Geelong won that grand final, because the last time they won a grand final prior to that was the year before I was born, which is 1963. That's how and even when they when they beat Port in two thousand and seven by that huge margin, I was not convinced they were going to win until about halfway through the last quarter. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I will admit to shedding a tear in Bounder's upstairs toilet. Uh, <laughs> not that we're passionate about football or anything. No, 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 that's fine. <laughs> um, no, that's it. That's us done. Thanks a lot for joining us, Dave. This is great. Thanks, no, look, Dave. thanks for the opportunity. It's been it's been great fun. This episode of Exploration Radio was brought to you by Ahmad Salim and Steve Beresford. Produced by Sean Jeffrey. Edited by Hamayu Mir and recorded live in Perth in August 2021. If you like what you've heard, we would love it if you reviewed us wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps us a lot. Exploration Radio is also supported by the Society of Economic Geologists, One to One Group and the Assay. Until next time, let's keep exploring.